not long after I became a Christian, I encountered Don. Don was the right kind of Christian. He was my campus life director. He had the very short Christian haircut. Now remember, this is the 1980s. He could pray. Oh, Don could pray. Back then, if you talked to God, you had to, Our Father who art in heaven, creator and sustainer of the universe. I mean, you had to have the, like a deep voice. Even women, you had to have a deep voice when you prayed and had the these and thous. And Don had all of them and could nail it. Uh, and Don, it seemed like he, he would just... Blah, 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 scripture would come out of his mouth. It was like he had it memorized. And to boot, Don was athletic. I mean... He slaughtered the teenagers in basketball, which was not right for a 30-year-old to be able to do that. It goes against the natural order of things. And he was a runner. He would run with my cousin Mike, and you know they would train for marathons. So, and I felt so geeky compared to Don. And, you know, and when I would do that whole thing about Don being the right kind of Christian, in my worst moments, I would allow those thoughts and Don, the right kind of Christian, to kind of paralyze me. And I'd be like, well... Why should I even try to do all this God stuff? Because clearly, I'm not going to be Don. None of us are going to be Don. I'm not even sure Moses was like Don, okay? And it was a very paralyzing thing. I've had similar thoughts as a parent. When I remember when I brought John Mark home from the hospital. John Mark was our firstborn. I remember the resolve of, we are not going to mess this up. Oh, you already know. <laughs> We've messed that up daily, okay? Daily. And, and I've had these thoughts from time to time that in order to, to, to raise a kid to become the man or woman that God wants them to be, I have to be the right kind of parent. And it didn't help. Jenny and I, when we were younger, we were in the small group that never ended. I mean, it went on for like five or six years. I guess our group never read the small group literature, okay? We just kept going and going and going. And uh, we met a couple in that group, and they became really good friends, and their names were Burley and Holly. Burley's parents were missionaries to some godforsaken place in Africa, and Holly was like the consummate mom and, and homemaker. Like, I remember one week, one summer, she painted her living room three different colors, three different days in a row. Up went the green. We stopped in to do dinner together. Oh, it's great, Holly. You know? And then in the next night, it was brown. And it was a, like one of those, uh, you had to get a ladder, 14-foot tall ceiling living rooms. I mean, this was no small project. And, you know, their kids would put away their toys at night. I mean, my kids' rooms, you go in there sometimes, you can't even, is there a floor? Is there a floor? Huh? Joe, I can't see the floor. Daddy's afraid to step, okay? And, 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 and they could, the boys, their boys could do the soccer thing. My, you know, my kids, because they come from me, they can't do the soccer thing. It's just not hardwired. And they would be able to, they could quote Bible stuff when they were young. And so there was this part of me that was like, well, I'm just not the right kind of parent. And I, I have that struggle from time to time. You've had those same struggles. If you've been around Christians... You've encountered a Don, the right kind of Christian. And as a parent, you've been around other parents and you've encountered them and you've had those thoughts. There's this voice that plays in your head. Well, I'm not the right kind of Christian or I'm not the right kind of parent. And can I let you in on something about that voice? It's wrong. That voice is wrong. It is so wrong. I believe most parents really want to be good parents. They do. In fact, if you're not a parent, let me let you in on a secret about your parents. 
deep down inside, they wanted to do right by you. <gasps> I know, that very thought itself might shake some of you up. What? Not mom and dad. <laughs> yes. In, in moments of honesty, I bet they really wanted to do right by you. They really wanted to raise you well and to parent well. Today, I want to tackle and silence that voice that's in your head and my head uh, be, that says when it comes to the Christian walk, you've got to be the right kind of Christian. Or when it comes to having kids, you've got to be the right kind of parent in order for God to use you. I want to silence that voice today with God's word. And I want to suggest to you something about yourself that you may not realize. God wants you to be a spiritual hero. I know, wait a minute. God wants you, yeah, you and me to be a spiritual hero. I know you're thinking, whoa, Max, that's a loaded term right there. Disqualified, I already know myself. Not only that, but my spouse knows myself, and if they figure out I'm even going to try, I'm hosed right there, okay? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me ask you some questions about some people in the Bible. Would you say that Abraham was a spiritual loser or a spiritual hero? You know, I don't see many. Which do you think he is, a spiritual loser or a spiritual hero? hero? Isaac, his son, spiritual loser or spiritual hero? Jacob, his grandson, spiritual loser or spiritual hero? Hero. Ah. So, in spite of, okay, now think about your life, in spite of the fact that you're a hothead, in spite of the fact that you're a perfectionist, in spite of the fact that, you know, you can't let go of offenses, in spite of the fact that you, you're not in the Bible as much as you, okay, all those things, think of your list, in spite of, God wants you to be a spiritual hero. You're going to make mistakes, it's going to happen, we all make mistakes, but I don't want that to paralyze you from being the kind of person and the kind of parent that God wants you to be. And today, I want to walk through the life of a spiritual hero who is not the right kind of person and not the right kind of parent. And that person is Jacob from the Old Testament. We're going to get into a prayer, and that's the meaty part of the scripture that we're going to get into. But I'm, I want to lay out his life. And, and, it, and, and this is good reading this week. If you've got kids, read this part of the Bible. With everything that you know as a grown-up, you will be shocked. Genesis chapters 25 to 33. Just, just read about this man, about the kind of childhood he has, about the kind of husband and father he becomes. I mean, you're, you'll have to pick your jaw up off the floor several times. Oh, you, what? Okay, Jacob. To back up a little bit, Jacob's dad, Isaac, married his wife when he was 40 years old. In the ancient world, that's really old. You got married at 13, 14, 15, okay? So he... Uh, Jacob's dad, Isaac, doesn't get married till he's 40, and he marries Rebekah, and Rebekah can't have kids. And in, in the ancient world, infertility was a big sign. Barrenness was a big sign of, you know, something wrong. That's what they thought, okay? And, and so Isaac actually prays. Oh, God, you know, he prays to God to, to, to allow his wife to conceive. And sure enough, she has twins, Esau and Jacob. In this family, dad loves and favors the oldest, Esau. Mom loves and favors the youngest, Jacob. Come on, is that not a recipe for dysfunction? Can I get an amen? Oh, yeah. Yes, okay? 
Well, there's a famine. A famine happens, and Isaac moves his whole family to this place called Gerar. It's near Philistia, okay, so that they can have stuff to eat. And when he arrives there, he lies about his wife, Rebecca, and he says, you know what, this, this woman right here, she's my sister, brother and sister. And of course, they find out, they find out the Abimelech, the king, is like, what? You know, because he sees them in an unguarded moment and realizes, you ain't brother and sister, okay? And, and it all hits the fan. I don't know how young Jacob was, okay, but his dad lies. I don't know if the, it's the case of the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But then Jacob, one day when his brother is really hungry, does this thing of, hey, bro, see you're really starving there. I've got this stew all nice and... Doesn't it smell really good when you love to have some? Okay. Well, you got to give me that stew. Well, I'll tell you what. If you'll give me your older son, you know, status, I'll give you the stew. And sure enough, Esau agrees. And what that meant was, back then... Uh, they didn't divide estates evenly. It was very uneven. If you were the oldest, okay, so if you had a, an estate worth $100,000, if you were the oldest, you would get $66,000, and if you had one sibling, they would get 33000 That was fair. That's how they distributed things. So what Esau is selling is that monetary breakup, that inheritance breakup that would happen when their father Isaac died. Well, a little bit later on, Jacob conspires with his mom and, and steals his brother's blessing. You know, that's the whole, this is your future. This is what I envision God doing for you. I mean, and there was a God part of it too. And Jacob steals that. Well, Jacob flees his brother Esau because he's in hot water and goes off and lives with his uncle Laban. And Jacob uh, works for seven years to marry Rachel because he doesn't have any money. He shows up penniless and he sees one of Laban's uh, daughters, Rachel, and he's like, wow, could I marry her, please? I'll work seven years. Well, in a twist of irony, Uncle Laban, on the wedding night, we don't know if Jacob's just really drunk or it's really dark, but he puts his oldest daughter in there, Leah, for the consummation, for the marriage night. And Jacob wakes up the next morning going, whoa! And works another seven years to get Rachel. And the Bible tells us that Jacob mistreated Leah. Both Jacob and Rachel mistreated her so bad that the Bible says God looked with favor on Leah and gave Leah lots of kids. Because even God was like, man, you all aren't treating her right. (laughs) Okay? So, over time... Bad blood starts with Uncle Laban, and, and Jacob has to go back home. Okay, so Jacob, the guy who's lied and cheated his brother twice, you would think of anybody that Jacob would not show favoritism, right? Because Jacob grew up in a house where his father favored his brother, right? So if you grow up in a home like that, what are you going to do? You're going to take a stand. Dadgummit, I'm not going to be like Dad. And when, and when Rachel has a kid, Joseph, guess what? Joseph becomes Jacob's favorite. And he carries on the same favoritism thing in his own family, having been on the receiving end of being the kid who wasn't dad's favorite. <laughs> well, he goes back to Canaan, and, and this, is where, this is the passage we're going to settle on. 
And it's Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12. Jacob, on his way back to Canaan, he's gonna, he knows he's going to meet up with Esau, and he's a little worried, and rightly so, because guess what? 20 years earlier, when you left Esau, um, you had stolen the blessing. You stink, Jacob. So he's a little afraid. And the Bible tells us that Esau has a, 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 a force or a gathering of 400 men. Now, if you know anything about ancient Near Eastern history, what that means is they got their swords, they're ready, they're waiting for Jacob to come back. Oh, Jacob, nice to see you. Okay, chapter 32, verses 9 and following. So Jacob prays this prayer. Jacob prays this prayer. It's the first time the Bible records Jacob praying since he left Bethel. And unlike his dad, when his wife was barren, the Bible doesn't tell us that Jacob prayed to God about it, okay? So not near half the man his dad was. And this is what Jacob prays. O God of my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me to return to my land and my relatives, and you promised to treat me kindly. Verse 10, I am not worthy of all the faithfulness and unfailing love you have shown me, your servant. When I left home, I owned nothing except a walking stick, and now my household fills two camps. Jacob is acknowledging, holy cow, over the last 20 years, you have blessed my socks off. And you know what? I do not deserve it. I'm not even worthy to be blessed half as much. And then the kicker thing that he's asking God, uh, the next verse, Oh Lord, please rescue me from my brother Esau. I am afraid he is coming to kill me. Yes, he is. Along with my wives and children. But you promised to treat me kindly and to multiply my descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. Woven into this prayer, you have gratitude, acknowledgement of what God has done, and humility. I'm not worthy to receive your goodness and your grace. That's not a half bad prayer, is it? So maybe instead of the prayer of Jabez, there should be the prayer of Jacob. Hey God, you've really blessed me over X number of years. You know what? I'm not worthy of your grace or your goodness that you've shown me. Have mercy. The kicker for me for this and for Jacob is that if you fast forward 400 years, God appears in a burning bush to this man named Moses. It's one of the climactic scenes of the Old Testament. And do you know how God identifies himself to Moses? The first few phrases out of his mouth, you know what God says? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of flawed people who nevertheless trust me. Trust me that I am who I say I am and that I will do what I've promised to do. That's a kicker. That's very concrete. I know a pastor buddy in Wheaton, Illinois, when he prays for his kids at night, you know what he prays? He'll bless them with the name, and he'll use uh, this, this uh, phrase, the God of, only he'll insert the kids' uncles' names and grandparents' names. May the God of Papa and your Uncle David watch over you tonight. 
And somehow for kids, it's like all of a sudden it's concrete, isn't it? And that's what God is, is kind of making the point in Scripture when he says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. All of a sudden, it's a concrete God in specific lives that were far from perfect. Okay? Well, here's where the rubber hits the road. Let me ask this question. And here's the question I want to ask. Uh, what does God want to do in your life today? Or better yet, if you're a parent, what does God want to do in your family today? And that's a good question to ask yourself each and every day, okay? Um, and, and if that seems a little too vague, then I've got some sentences, okay? So uh, in terms of the Christian walk, if God were to look at your life, how would God complete these sentences? You know what? For you, I want you to become... You know what? For you, I want you to feel. You know what? For you, I want you to believe. I want you to choose. I bet you have some answers to some of those. If you're a parent and, and God were to sit down and have a conversation with you about your kids, if you've got kids still at home, how would God complete these sentences? You know what? For your son or your daughter, you know what I want them to become? I want them to become. I want them to believe. I want them to feel. I want them to choose. And see, I bet you have some answers already, don't you? See, it's not about being perfect. It's about being in tune with what God wants to do today. Each day is a new opportunity. And here's some specifics. If you're a parent, I want to give you some today markers that you can use in your everyday family life. Here's one. Just talk about God. Just bring God up in conversation. Uh, the other day, John Mark and I were driving in the car. I admit, it's awkward. It's still, I'm a pastor and it's awkward, okay? It, just get over the awkwardness. We're talking about, and, and we're talking about how we're different. He's wanting to blah, 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 blah about something. And I'm like, you know, God has hardwired you to be a verbal processor. You just think out loud with your mouth. And, and you're wanting to engage me right now, and you want me to answer, and you know what? God didn't make me like you. I need to go away and let, let my little wheels turn at, you know, five miles an hour and come back to you in a day. And God's just made us different. And I could see, bing, the light bulb came on. Okay? Talk about God. Uh, here's another today marker. Encourage family members to pray for each other. If mom is stressed about a project... You know, and the kids are like, man, mom is really stressed. Hey, why don't you pray for mom? Hey, God, help mom not to be so nervous. Help the presentation to go well or whatever. Boom, simple prayer. Um, here's another uh, today marker. Let your kids see you spend time with God. This is a growing edge for me. My tendency as an introvert is to late at night when they're all asleep or early in the morning when they're all asleep. That's my God time, and they never see me. But of late, I've been purposeful to have the Bible out on my lap when I'm reading. And they come by and they can engage me and I don't go, Rarf! I, you know, I'm happy to see them, right? <laughs> okay. Um, here's another today marker. Pray spontaneously. You go to Applebee's and um, you go there and it's the, at the end of the day and you have all the end of the day stuff. I'm tired. Oh, man, this day killed me. Da, 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 da. And you put in your name and they tell you it's going to be 45 minutes. And then in your mind you go, okay, that's an hour and a half but we've committed, we're going to stay here no matter what. And then the host or hostess comes up to you 15 minutes later and says, we have a table open up. And you go sit down. There's a God opportunity right there. Kids, we're going to take five seconds. Here we go. Hey, God. Oh, thank you so much for this table. You are awesome. Okay, what do you want to eat? <laughs> All right. Uh, or you're driving along the road and you see a wreck. Encourage one of your kids. Why don't you pray for those people? 
Um, here's another today marker. Talk about media from a Christian viewpoint or bring up uh, discussions that you're having to things that are in the Bible. Um, and, and if your kids are grown and gone, uh, some practical advice would simply be this. Um, at some point, acknowledge, you know what, mom and I, or dad and I, we're not perfect. We weren't perfect raising you. And when you do that in a verbal way with your grown-up kids, it puts them at ease because they're like, oh, they figured it out. <laughs> okay? And, 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 but then that opens the door for you then to be talking about what God's doing in your life now. And your, kids are, your adult kids are open to receiving what God's doing in your life because you've acknowledged the imperfection part that they sometimes want to pin you with. Now, here's the thing. If you resolve to be a spiritual hero, and that's what God wants you to be, is a spiritual hero. If you resolve to be a spiritual hero in your home or with your friends or at work, you are going to be attacked. The moment you resolve that and you try and have like a prayer at the dinner time, one of the, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them just vomited spontaneously, okay? The, the, you will be attacked, okay? It's going to ha- anticipate it. Anticipate it. You will be accused. In your mind, the tapes will start playing, and you'll hear the voice that says, wait, a spiritual hero? I, I'm sorry. Did you not tell your wife yesterday? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm? What? <laughs> you don't have no spirit. No. Understand it's going to happen, and you will fail more than once. So, you know, if, if you're going to, like, do family devotion, or you're gonna, you know, don't announce. All right, from here on out, don't announce. Just do it. And then, you know, when, when the failure points come, it's okay, because you know what? Today is another opportunity. Each day you wake up is another opportunity. I want you to be a spiritual hero for your kids if you've got kids. And if you don't have kids, I want you to be a spiritual hero because our culture needs them. Our culture needs spiritual heroes. And here's the good news. It's not about perfection. It's simply about being in tune with what God wants to do today.